The Westminster Confession of Faith was first published in 1646. It was the result of the hard work done by a group of men called the Westminster Divines. Their goal was to outline what they believed the Scriptures principally taught. And it has been said that the Church of Christ cannot be creedless and live. Thankfully, the Westminster Confession of Faith has been the creed of the Reformed Church for almost 400 years. This podcast seeks to point you to Christ, to help you navigate the Westminster Confession of Faith, and to see you understand what you believe and why you believe it. Welcome to This We Confess. Westminster Confession of Faith, Chapter 29 of the Lord's Supper, Paragraphs 5 and 6. The outward elements in this sacrament, duly set apart to the uses ordained by Christ, have such relation to him crucified as that truly, yet sacramentally only, they are sometimes called by the name of the things they represent, to wit, the body and blood of Christ. Albeit in substance and nature, they still remain truly and only bread and wine as they were before. Paragraph 6. That doctrine which maintains a change of the substance of bread and wine into the substance of Christ's body and blood, commonly called transubstantiation, by consecration of a priest or by any other way, is repugnant not to scripture alone, but even to common sense and reason. It overthrows the nature of the sacrament, and hath been and is the cause of manifold superstitions, yea, of gross idolatry. Hello everyone, and welcome to episode 87 of This We Confess, where we continue our study of chapter 29 of the Lord's Supper, And in the first two paragraphs, we've considered what the supper actually does. And then in paragraphs three and four, the Westminster Divines share how we are to actually observe the supper and some of the pitfalls we are to avoid. In today's paragraphs, we speak specifically about the elements themselves, namely the bread and the wine. Last time out, we considered how the bread and wine are the elements that have been set aside from their common everyday use by God himself. We are familiar with both bread and wine in our homes, but when we gather to observe the Lord's Supper, the bread and the wine are used for a special purpose. These ordinary items are set upon the Lord's table, and the minister prays that the Lord would use them in an extraordinary way. Indeed, the bread and the wine have been set apart by Christ himself for the purpose of strengthening his church. They take their place in the Lord's Supper meal. They are part of this ordinary means of grace. And such truth, therefore, led the Westminster Divines to paragraph 5, where they highlight that the elements have such a connection to Christ and him crucified that sometimes in Scripture and in the celebration of the supper, the bread and the wine are described as the body and blood of Christ. Matthew 26, verse 26 onwards, highlights this very point. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, 
and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And so Jesus takes bread, and he calls it my body. And in the same manner, Jesus takes a cup of wine, and he calls it my blood. We understand that Christ did not somehow remove a piece of his actual flesh, nor did he pour his blood into a cup. Yet the Westminster Divines tell us that Jesus spoke both truly and sacramentally. Christ spoke truthfully, and he declared that in the supper we come and feast on Christ himself. This is my body, this is my blood, says Jesus. Christ himself is our supper. He is the nourishment for our souls. But equally, we must also remember that when we speak in this manner, we are speaking sacramentally, that is, symbolically. Jesus used everyday, ordinary items in a symbolic way. In flesh and blood, Jesus himself stood before his disciples and he held up a piece of bread and declared, This is my body. Jesus in flesh and blood stood before his disciples and lifted a cup of wine and declared, This is my blood. He spoke truthfully and sacramentally or symbolically. He took symbols which vividly and accurately represent Christ himself. Therefore, we speak honestly when we take a piece of bread at the supper and declare, This is the body of Christ. And we speak the truth when we take the cup and declare, This is the blood of Christ. The symbols of bread and wine accurately represent Christ, that they are sometimes called by the name of the thing that they represent. However, as this paragraph finishes, the Westminster Divines make it clear that the elements remain in both nature and substance, bread and wine, despite the fact that our language sometimes describes them as the body and blood of Christ, they do not physically become the body and the blood of Christ. They remain as they were before the supper took place. And so even after the supper, the Reformed Christian is not required to treat the leftover bread and wine with great reverence. The bread and wine leftover can be used again for their everyday common use. Jesus reminds us in Matthew 26 that the cup that he drank was simply the fruit of the vine. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. The wine remained wine, and it did not become the blood of Christ. And later in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the Apostle Paul speaks in verse 27 onwards of drinking the cup and eating the bread. It is clear that the apostle did not believe that the elements themselves become the physical body and blood of Jesus. We eat the bread, and it remains bread, and we drink the wine, and it remains wine. Yet at the same time, these simple common elements are set aside for an extraordinary purpose, and they symbolize to us the body and the blood of Christ. So much so that the language about the symbols and the realities they represent is interchangeable. We can truly and sacramentally therefore describe the bread as the body of Christ 
and the wine is his blood. However, the elements remain just bread and wine, and nothing more. With that stated, paragraph 6 deals with the heresy of transubstantiation, or in simple terms, the bread and the wine actually become the body and the blood of Christ. This is the clear teaching of the Roman Catholic Church. And in the Roman Catholic Catechism, in paragraph 1374, the Roman Catholic Church speaks of the real presence of Christ in the Lord's Supper. They state, The mode of Christ's presence under the Eucharistic species is unique. It raises the Eucharist above all the sacraments as the perfection of the spiritual life and the end to which all the sacraments tend. In the most blessed sacrament of the Eucharist, the body and blood, together with the soul and divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ, and therefore the whole Christ, is truly, really, and substantially contained. This presence is called real, by which is not intended to exclude the other types of presence as if they could not be real too, but because it is presence in the fullest sense, that is to say, it is a substantial presence by which Christ, God and man, makes himself holy and entirely present. Paragraph 1375 It is by the conversion of the bread and wine into Christ's body and blood that Christ becomes present in this sacrament. Then, paragraph 1376 The Council of Trent summarizes the Catholic faith by declaring, Because Christ our Redeemer said that it was truly his body that he was offering unto the species of bread, it has always been the conviction of the Church of God, and this Holy Council now declares again, that by the consecration of the bread and wine, there takes place a change of the whole substance of the bread into the substance of the body of Christ, our Lord and of the whole substance of the wine into the substance of his blood. This change, the Holy Catholic Church has fittingly and properly called transubstantiation. So there we have it, from the Roman Catholic Catechism itself. Let me summarize it. Roman Catholic teaching is clear, that they believe that in the bread and in the wine, the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus is contained. And this containment happens when the bread and the wine is consecrated by the priest. It is at that point that ordinary bread and ordinary wine becomes the actual physical body and blood of Christ. And it is this process that the Roman Catholic Church calls transubstantiation. And yet the Westminster Divines describe this as repugnant to scripture alone and to common sense and reason. To say that the bread and wine turns into the actual body and blood of Christ is to deny the fact that Christ has been raised again to life. The Lord Jesus is the first fruits of the resurrection. His body and soul were reunited on the third day, and he is alive forevermore. Today, Jesus, in flesh and blood, is at the right hand of the Father. Are we to believe, therefore, that somehow Christ's physical body is still shared out every day, every week, every time we come to the table amongst the bread and wine of the Lord's Supper. No, 
Such an idea flies in the face of scriptural testimony about where Christ is right now. And the Lord was clear that indeed, after his resurrection, he had a physical body. In Luke 24, verse 36 onwards, we read, As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. So we wish to reject any notion that the physical body and blood of Christ somehow appears in a real way in the bread and wine of the Lord's Supper. Furthermore, if we are correct in our assertion that the Lord's Supper is an act of remembrance until Christ comes, why is such a remembrance necessary if Jesus physically comes to each table in the form of bread and wine? Roman Catholics draw near to the Mass to remember Christ's sacrifice, and yet they believe that Christ is physically and really present. In a similar manner, the dispensationalists argue that remembrance sacrifices will return in Ezekiel's temple, even though Christ will be physically present. No, we have no need to remember anything if Jesus stands physically among us in the supper. But he does not stand physically among us in the supper. Christ remains in glory, flesh and blood is at the right hand of the Father, and the bread and the wine do not turn into the actual body and blood of Christ, either by the consecration of a priest or by any other way. To deny this overthrows the memorial nature of the sacrament and has caused a multitude of superstitions and gross idolatries. And we see some of these superstitions and idolatries once again in the Roman Catholic Catechism. Paragraph 1377. The Eucharistic presence of Christ begins at the moment of the consecration and endures as long as the Eucharistic species subsist. Christ is present, whole and entire, in each of the species and whole and entire in each of their parts, in such a way that the breaking of the bread does not divide Christ. Paragraph 1378. Worship of the Eucharist. In the liturgy of the Mass, we express our faith in the real presence of Christ under the species of bread and wine, by, among other ways, genuflecting or bowing deeply as a sign of adoration of the Lord. The Catholic Church has always offered and still offers to the sacrament of the Eucharist the cult of adoration, not only during Mass, but also outside of it reserving the consecrated hosts with the utmost care, exposing them to the solemn veneration of the faithful and carrying them in procession. Hopefully you picked up there some of that which the Roman Catholic Church teaches. In paragraph 1377, we're told that Christ is present whole and entire in every crumb of bread and in every drop of wine. Do you understand that? A piece of bread 
cut up into 10 different parts. Each part is allegedly the physical body of Christ. Each tiny crumb, even one that drops to the floor and is lost in the carpet, is the actual physical body of Christ. And the same is said for every single drop of wine. And in paragraph 1378, we are told that because Christ is really present in the bread and wine, then Roman Catholics are encouraged to bow to the bread and wine as a sign of adoration of the Lord. Indeed, the bread and the wine is to be adored, not only during the Mass, but also afterwards. The bread and the wine is to be treated with the utmost care. The veneration of the faithful is due to the bread and the wine, and they are to be carried about in procession. In other words, because every piece of bread and every drop of wine is the actual physical body and blood of Christ, then not one part of it can be lost. Not one part of it can be treated with contempt, because you are handling Christ himself. According to Roman Catholic teaching, Christ's real presence doesn't end as long as the bread and the wine exist. So what if a piece of bread is dropped and falls through the crack in the floor? Does the body of Christ exist in that piece of bread until the bread rots or is eaten by a mouse or another animal? What if the wine is accidentally spilled on the floor or down the sink? Have we poured the blood of Christ into a drain? By no means. To argue in favour of transubstantiation is to open the door to problems and superstitions that we need not be troubled by. Scripture, common sense and reason combine against Roman Catholic teaching and therefore we must reject transubstantiation as false. Instead, this we confess. The bread and the wine are so wonderfully related to Christ and him crucified that it is right and true to describe them as the body and blood of Christ. Yet they remain symbols and do not physically become the actual body and actual blood of Jesus. Christ is alive and well in flesh and in blood and he calls us to remember him at the table. And such remembrance would not be necessary if he physically joined with us in bread and wine every time the table was set. And so we continue to make much use of the supper. It is for us and for our spiritual good. We feast on Christ himself and his finished work. And although we have not yet seen him, we love him. And although we do not see him now at the table or otherwise, we believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory obtaining the outcome of our faith, the salvation of our soul. As always, here are some questions for you to consider. Question 1. Is it appropriate to describe the bread and the wine as the body and the blood of Christ? Support your answer biblically. Question 2. Should leftover bread and wine be ate and drunk by the minister, or can they return to their common use? Explain your reasoning. Question 3. In your own words, describe what is meant 
by transubstantiation. Question 4. Where is Christ today and in what form? And why does this speak against transubstantiation? And question 5. The Westminster divines tell us that transubstantiation overthrows the nature of the sacrament and has been and is the cause of manifold superstitions and gross idolatries. Describe what you think they mean by this statement and give an example of a superstition or an idolatry. That's all for today. As always, my name is Scott Woodburn, and until next time, which will be in a fortnight's time, this we confess. (laughs) 